So I was reading like a good professional uh, interviewer. I was reading your about page, you know, to find out more about you. So you grew up in Austin, huh? Yeah, uh, I was actually born in England, believe it or not. What? Uh, Yeah. Does that mean you shouldn't be doing any international travel right now? You may not be able to get back in? (laughs) No, no. Luckily, I naturalized. So, Ah. um, so, and uh, it's actually, it's a gray area of the law. Um, When you naturalize as a citizen of the United States, you're supposed to renounce all your other citizenships. But Uh so according to the U.S. government, I've renounced. um, But the British government, you cannot renounce your citizenship. Right. So, so it's one of those gray areas, officially speaking. And I realize as I'm saying this is probably recorded, but everybody, it's like one of those things people don't talk about. So I have two passports, which is kind of cool. Well, that is nice. So you can go through, well, maybe not anymore, but at one point <laughs> in Europe, you could go through the quick line. Now you can go to the quick line in, uh, in England. Hopefully they'll sort that out. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. We'll see. We'll see. So, so then, so then, uh, where'd you go to high school? Uh, I went to a place called Kirby Hall. Kirby um, Hall. I know that by name, but yeah. that's it. What, what is that? Is that some sort yeah. of private school? Yeah, it was it was a private school um, down on 29th Street. So I grew up um, basically. I went to school from sixth grade through high school uh, through uh, senior year. There, I graduated graduated sixth in my class out of six. So I was I I was the bottom rung of my class, which really helped the uh, the college entrance uh-huh. um, uh, situation. Yeah, Ma- um, magna cum so, lasti, like that. Yeah, that's, exactly. right. that's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So wait, wait, wait. Six out of six. I mean, that's a little like uh, that's wh- which one's the one on the bottom? Is that the denominator? That's that's uh, that's some denominator problems right there. <laughs> it's good. That's true. Um, I actually graduated behind a junior. So a junior actually got a higher GPA than I did mm. in my senior class. Mm. So, yeah, huh. that's, that's, a, that's a fun one. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. So why don't you tell people who you are now that we've just, oh, uh, <laughs> to use some more Latin, we've just immediate rexed it. Nice, nice. Yes, hi. Hi, I'm JJ Asgar. Uh, I, uh, I'm a, a technic geek here in Austin, Texas. Uh, I work for Chef. Um, Cote and I have been um, bouncing back and forth through uh, Matt Ray for what two years now or so yeah we have conversations probably more you used to work for him yeah. right yes i did i yeah. was his i was his uh i think the the um the term you use which actually became an internal term at one point uh when i was one of his cloud boys yeah that's right um the cloud <laughs> polecats yeah, we polecats yeah we, we we went out there playing around to make uh the integrations with chef uh better and the um the cloud spaces, all the ones that, you know, weren't all the big, big three or whatever. Um, so, yeah, that's that's me. I'm just a, I'm just a tech and, nerd in the ATS. And, and so professionally, you still kind of do like you're basically like technical biz dev person for for some of the, 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 the cloudy infrastructure people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I work for biz dev um, at, at Chef still, um, but I've moved into uh, I was the OpenStack guy. That was actually my mm. original um focus so i had my opinions about OpenStack, um but over time chef uh, has moved away from it and i'm kind of i'm focusing on uh vmware and google now um to kind of uh, cultivate that relationship a little bit stronger to because you know i hear rumors that vmware is everywhere um and most companies use it so uh you know trying to uh, make sure that the integrations are as delightful as they can be 
Now that's that's as part of Dell Technologies. That is completely my experience. That VMware is everywhere. It's, it's good stuff. <laughs> you should just install five versions of it. But so let's let's back up a little bit. What, what is BizDev? Mm-hmm. Explain what that is to people. That is a great question. Um, so uh, I like to say it in a very jovial, joking way is that it's the the nerds that wear the um, the, the sports coats. Mm. So they some they wear the t-shirt still, but they put the sports coat on top um, because they have to go talk to, um, in this case, uh, where we focus our partners. Um, and that's what I focus on. And I have to go in there looking all professional, but I can still take that sports coat off and talk technical nerd stuff with their engineers and show that um, I am serious about understanding their business goals. And also uh, that it is a reasonable expectation that um, our technology can uh, integrate with their technology. And uh, it's all about, for lack of better to say, I think there's some joke here. Um, It's all about building the relationships between companies and show that um, you just care. You, you want to make the best for both both worlds. And and so, I, I mean, just to summarize it briefly, right? Like, so Chef, basically, uh, I mean, the main thing that, that you guys do is, uh, as we used to call it, configuration management, which is, uh, <laughs> which is you've got some computers out there, often servers. There's some interesting edge cases where people do it on their uh, personal desktop devices, workstations. Uh, mm-hmm. But you've got servers and other infrastructure. And you want to automate and standardize the way that they are, they're configured, all the settings and everything on it. And I mean, you know, for people who don't need to know what Chef is, this explanation sounds stupid. But <laughs> anyways, and and then it also has a uh, the characteristic that it's continually like looking at the boxes and the setup that you have and making sure they're set up the way that you want. And uh, as I recall, the lineage of Chef is some some sort of disagreement between uh, like Adam Jacobs and some other person with Luke Kinese of Puppet, which is also doing the same thing. And then Puppet was born out of like the the, the frustration Luke had working at Blade Logic and trying to get CF Engine to work to do the same configuration management thing. So it's and I forget how Blade Logic came about. I think that's written up in that. Uh, Oddly enough, that uh, what is it? The hard thing about hard things. That book by one of the the A16Z people. He used to be the CEO of um, not Blade Logic, but Opsware. So there's a little bit of Opsware and Blade Logic. But there's a long history of configuration management, and then it seems like it seems like y'all are like uh, along with Puppet. You're you're sort of like at the the current state of it. Um, and and then we were talking about this like. Now, there, there's a whole other thing of, like, containers that have come about that, like, I don't know, what, what's your position on them? Would you say that's, was that, like, usurped whatever you call puppet and chef-style automation or complemented it? Or, like, what's going on with all that? Because I never really know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so we have another product inside of the chef suite called Habitat, which um, allows you to... Uh, Oh, it's a good word for it. Um, leverage the container story. Uh, but it's and instead of me turning into this, of, hey, everyone should go play with Habitat, which they should listening to this um, because it is an amazing technology. It's it's I think that the I think the more interesting kind of conversation is that there's a story that happened over the last few years where, you know, what is it? No ops or uh, or. Yeah, I think it's no ops where developers don't need operations anymore. They can just ship to the cloud. Mm. And that is the container story in in my personal opinion, a nutshell, 
right? You can just take a Docker container and do from Ubuntu and then install the software. And then I can take that container and shove it up into the cloud and it can do its thing. Well, um, Michael Ducey has this amazing tweet uh, of the, uh, the prod cliff of containers. And um, for a developer, yes, a container is really easy and you can do some really cool stuff on your laptop. But if you've actually ever professionally ran an application in the web, it's not just running your application. There's a whole ecosystem around this stuff. And that's something that Habitat actually does is has, has a way to automate um, the intelligence around it. So you have a, a more holistic story and more confidence in your actual um, more, more, more confidence in your in your application. Now, I should mention you most people don't just I mean, you do you can shove up a, a container into, you know, Kubernetes or or Cloud Foundry for that matter. Right. You can do that in Cloud Foundry. Yeah. Um, sure. But, yeah, sure. Um, but uh, the in order for you to actually get one of those infrastructures working, unless you're willing to pay Google or or Pivotal for their hardware, if you need to run it inside your own data center, you still need to set, set up those things. And those things setting up, that's where Chef can come into play, where it can build up the the infrastructure or the uh, the stacks of the hardware that you need, and then you can put Habitat on top of it to run your actual application. So it's, it's basically the other side of the coin of the application automation is where Habitat f falls in, where containers promised that they were going to fall in into place two, three years ago when Docker first really hit the scene. But if you haven't been watching Docker, you'll notice that it's it's sprawled into something completely else, completely different, where it's now, it's no longer. So for people listening to this, how many times have you heard your boss ask you to, hey, I need SSH into, I need an SSH process inside my container because I want to be able to make sure that the passenger process is running or whatever. That defeats the purpose of containerization because containers are supposed to be one one process, one container. That's the point. It's containerization of processes. When you start putting more processes in there, you're becoming lightweight virtualization. And um, I'm worried. Uh, it's Docker's become that. It's become lightweight virtualization. Yeah, well, well, that, that, that was that was always <laughs> one of the the early in theories of Docker is like it's the next VMware, right? And uh, I think I think I think logically, when you sort of like compare, I don't know if logically is the right word, but when when you kind of look at it, it's sort of like, well, I have this this uh, this thing. We might call it a container or a machine that I, I put software in that runs. And it kind of seems like all the same stuff, right? So it does seem like, um, I mean, if, if, if I, I was never like fully convinced that that wasn't the right metaphor is more like, and this, this leads to the next like little question is more of like, um, the way people end up using this stuff sort of retcons its original purpose, <laughs> right? And, yeah. and, and like, like this, this seems like, I mean, there's there's a lot of angles to this, but this seems like one of the 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 uh, and you know we struggle with this at, at at Pivotal, or I should say, people in the Pivotal world struggle with this. But I I don't think there's a very solid conception of uh, 
how you should deploy an application nowadays. Like it sounds really boring, but to, you could say packaging, right? But there, there's not a very, at least as far as I can tell, there's not that many universally accepted and understood concepts of how an application is packaged and deployed. And therefore, in a pretty real sense, like what an application actually is, right? And, and as an example of that, like, uh, you know, if you depend on a whole bunch of services, are those services part of your application? Or is it like I've heard with microservices where they're not and it's some other people that work on it? And then like, but, in, and then, and then if I'm running on like a public cloud, like I don't really care about all this operational stuff, or maybe I do because someone has to manage the server and on and on and on, right? Like it's just sort of like, I don't know, maybe this is like old person bias, but I feel like, you know, back in my day, you just packaged it up into a war file and fired up WebSphere and you were done, right? Like, mm. like it, it was, it was sort of like a lot more definable, like what all this stuff was. And, or, or at the very least, there were less definitions. Whereas nowadays, like I was just looking at a, um, someone's been pulling together a map for the cloud native landscape and it's just like incredibly fragmented and all sorts of things. So I don't know. I mean, I went like, my 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 screed done there right like I, I know this is stuff that like people who care about chef like struggle with as well or think through as well in relation to like docker and serverless and things like that so like i mean when you go and talk with people like what are they what are the many ways they think about what an application is so yeah um there was a couple things that jumped in my head at that whole that that right there where so um i actually before working for chef i worked at a rail shop and um, that was when Docker was first coming into the scene. And I remember specifically, um, I worked on what was called the Tech Ops, tech ops Group. Um, but I was a senior Dev- DevOps engineer there. So I don't really ever know what that meant. But um, that was my thing. And I got to play with new technologies. So I remember I was working with the... Um, the uh, the engineering team because it was a rail shop and we had Redis like with all rail shops have Redis, you know, had a database and, you know, front end. Um, and what I noticed about specifically Docker at the time was that the, it was the promise of being able to stack up a bunch of containers and be able to rip out one container and put in another one very easily. So for instance, if I'm running Redis version two and Redis version three came out, or dot release, whatever, I could rip it out, do my integration tests with the new version to see if I have any regressions or anything like that. So that was really cool. And going back to the statement earlier, it was the lightweight virtualization. Um, it kind of became, Docker became that. And that's where, when we have a conversation for about Habitat specifically, um, we're going back to that promise of packaging and consistency and ways of doing where you can say all the way down to the version of libc that you're running in your in your stack you know for a fact it is that specific version it turns the um the container instead of from building the container up from a base os to your application it it starts with um your application and builds out the uh, it built it builds out the um, the dependencies to build it, build it from exactly what you need. 
which if, if you imagine this as a triangle as a base OS to an application, it flips the application, it flips the uh, the triangle on its on its over. I guess flips the triangle over, where it's the application up to the up right. to the uh, the this, anyway. So but, you have uh, you have the base of the triangle, the long part, or one of the long parts on top, and, and exactly, and a pointy part is is pointed towards the ground. Yeah. So you start with your application and build it back. Now, to answer the question about packaging and what you mentioned earlier. Um, that's actually an interesting observation of how it used to be just spin up, you know, WebSphere and throw in a WAR file or an ear file if you're being really sexy. Um, now, <laughs> uh, it shows the diversity of the technology stacks now, right? Where you can't have a standardized packaging system. People aren't just doing Java anymore. You've got things ranging from Go to Rust to Rails to to Flask to Python. So there, oh, there isn't a standard way of doing it, and everybody skins this cat differently. So you need to come back to a way that is sanity. Like if you spend your time at a at a rail shop and then try to jump over to a Django shop, yeah, so there's going to be some there's going to be a learning curve there, and that's the same thing with running these applications. You, it's really hard, and I know this probably is going to be a little bit of controversial saying, but it's hard to move from Python to Ruby to java and back and be expected to have the same level of um uh what's a good word for it uh proficiency and that's why you start seeing camps of of technologies well this is another thing i mean i mean i'm I'm curious to uh uh get your view on right And, and again it's exposing my uh the last time i programmed was in 2006 sort of uh whatever inexperience <laughs> but like like and and especially since you were doing like rails stuff what always struck me about uh rails development and i guess maybe like lamp development where p meant like you know php python and ruby i don't know how ruby mm-hmm. snuck in there but anyways was that that in, in in the same way with java you would have like jboss websphere weblogic or or in the later days like nowadays tomcat as you have you have a a runtime environment that you run your application in it seemed like a large part of what was happening in the lamp stuff is more or less you were treating like linux as your runtime environment as your container mm-hmm. and and more or less like i was never a big like rails person but uh, if I remember, it would sort of like it did a lot of what you're saying. It was like this is the way that you set up everything and do everything. Here is here are the choices and the opinions that you have, and so there is sort of like a standardized way of doing things. And then I guess I guess the goal was that like there's only Rails, so there is no fragmentation, so it's easy. <laughs> and then yeah, and and then I, and I guess I guess some of the early the early I don't know how it is nowadays, but the early problems with that was like, all right, if there's only one thing, then we should make sure it can scale infinitely, and if it can't, then we're going to have problems, right? Like, it, mm-hmm. you know, if if there is only this one thing, it must cover all the different scenarios that you have, and then you have the whole you know early Twitter and stuff written in Rails, and then and then you cycle through like four or five teams of people to rewrite it into something else and blah, 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 right? All fascinating. Uh, and um, But but it seems like something that started happening is what like, like to your point is once you make like the operating system your, your environment, then you're like, well, what if we go over here and add this thing? And what if we go over here and add this thing? And then, and then this, and then that, and then suddenly, like you almost don't have a container anymore. Like you don't have an environment; you just have sort of like 
a bunch of you're just directly deploying to the operating system. And um, and then it seems like that's where something like around this time in my fanciful timeline, that's where something like Puppet and Chef become really handy because you're basically like, well, I got to configure everything. <laughs> and I move the standardization into like the configuration tool and then I can have like complete fragmentation and thus options in like all the infrastructure that I use. Or I don't know, something like that. But it is like, I feel like it's this weird, like like I always think of in terms of cycles. And it's this weird cycle of like from the war era days where it's like a very much so like contained little world. Then it like blows out to like everything. And then nowadays with with containers and, and even like, as we would say, cloud native thinking, like we're kind of pulling back to like, hey, slow down, techs, like, Never mind the operating system you're running on. Just worry about, like it's that inverted triangle, just worry about the application and let the system figure out, you know, what what files are in the Etsy directory and all that. Yeah, and and just to kind of jump off of one of the things you made a statement about a second ago, which was the, you know, like Rails was supposed to scale, right? And that whole, that whole story, this specific company that I was at, they moved from a .NET application and they hired a bunch of Rails developers to um, uh, to rewrite their .NET application into Rails. But the problem was is they didn't realize that Rails was just like the proof of concept. It was like, hey, we can do this in Rails and then we need to come back and re, uh, refactor that yeah, code yeah. into something that can handle that's the scale that we expected. And they never did that second or third step. They're like, oh, it's a new Rails application. Everything's great now. Yeah, that, that's an interesting um, so. point. Like, I remember, I remember way back then. I keep making a joke about how long ago it is, but there was a lot of discussion about prototyping languages versus the actual language. And uh, I don't think I've ever heard people talking about that anymore. They talk about paper prototypes, but uh, yeah, they don't really do that anymore. Well, that was like the the advantage of the version what two and three of Rails is that in a weekend you could get a simple application that does data manipulation done, and you can show it to people and be like, "Hey, give me my 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 next round of funding because this is this is gonna this this can this this is the a, a physical oh well, virtual I guess POC of the application I want to build," but they don't realize that there's another step where you need to find something that. Oh, all of a sudden, as uh, there's the, the statement that Adam Jacob makes, you don't have a scaling problem until you have a scaling problem. Well, when you do get to that point, Rails can't handle that, or at least Rails 2 and 3 couldn't, and people forget there's a second step after it where you have to scale. <laughs> mm. So it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a good problem to have, but if you don't have the people who have the experience of having that problem, um you are going to have, as the meme says, a very bad time. Mm. Well, well, so, so, so let, let me, let me pull us out of this, uh, this infinite hole of digressions and, and like, and then a little, <laughs> little bit back. So, so here, here's, here's another thing to run by you. And it'd be interesting to hear your take based on, uh, kind of the stuff you work on now and in the past is, uh, I feel like maybe back around 2010, right? Like there was this notion of, of cloud. That was just like pure infrastructure, and and it was it was almost it was analogous to like the the thing with uh, Docker, where it was like to some extent cloud is just the new VMware and it's cheaper. Like, 
And people would use a phrase like workloads. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just going to move my workload to the public cloud. And you would be like, what do you mean by workload? And they would mean like workload, right? They, it was just like generic workload. And, yep. and, and it seems like nowadays there is kind of like generic workload, but, and maybe it's just because of the stuff you and I pay attention to, but there's a lot better understanding that basically that workload is like custom written software, like the software that mm-hmm. you're actually running. And, and I'm curious, and, and it's particularly because, uh, like, you know, you do, you do some VMware work where there's a lot of crossover here. Like, wh- well, one, do you think that that sort of characterization is accurate? And then if it is, like, when, when do you think that switchover started happening where people understood that it was like software development we were talking about? That's a, that's a great question. Um, mainly because I don't actually know when that time period, that, that actual moment happened because I know I got swept up into it. Like all of a sudden I'm writing tests for what I used to write a simple bash script for. Right. And mm. I saw the light of using, um, uh, of using infrastructure as code and writing tests to push things out. I know what a pipeline is. If I, if you, if I met myself 10 years ago, like back in 2006 when I was working at Dell, Oh no, sorry. That's a lie. I was working at message one then, but I was becoming a Dell employee. Um, when if I actually met myself when I was working at Dell on the production engineering team for, uh, CentOS machines, for a company called Message One, um, if I actually met myself and said, "JJ, what you do right, uh, what you do in ten years or eleven, whatever the, the years there, you write tests for Ruby development to deploy machines to run applications," I would probably stand up and walk away <laughs> because I would not believe you. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and and it's it's. It was, just, it was a paradigm switch over the last time because, to your point, what we do, infrastructure became software development. And it became a way to ship, uh, to use your term, workloads into benign environments of compute and move storage around. I, uh, I actually asked you to help me with this for my predictions of 2017. And... Um, I, I say at the very end of it as a very romantic idea of of a business idea of where this could happen in theory if we're as we're going down this path where I could have my business run on all three major clouds. I can run my business intelligence on uh, Azure where I have my AD and I control my documents and things like that, my business processes. I have my big data getting crunched on um, on Google where I can ship if I'm like, uh, I don't know, a dating service or something where I have to do data crunching information. I do that on Google's hardware, which is another workload. And then I have my actual website running on AWS where I know it's, it's, I have the whole AWS uh, ecosystem and, and uh, support structure around it to make sure that it is up in the different AZs and whatnot. That romantic idea of three clouds to run my business is not very far away. And I think the sooner people grasp that different clouds have, yes, different strengths and different weaknesses, but you exploit the, the strengths for your business needs and have transferable workflows, which interestingly enough, Habitat can help you with, um, and leverage that to make that happen. I genuinely believe that 
that will be the norm before we know it. So, so that, so then let, let's, let's like look at that a little bit. So you got, mm-hmm. uh, so is all of that stuff, like, is any of that stuff like off the shelf software that you're running or is it all like customized software that you're doing? Like it might be to your point of like data analytics. It may be sort of like, uh, here's an engine that I have that does whatever data analytics, parallel processing mumbo jumbo. And I need to write like, you know, whatever my data scripts are that do the analysis. I don't, I don't know what all that stuff is. Um, <laughs> and you know, the end result is just like a CSV file. So it's not really like an application in the same sense of like, I'm going to do my bill pay, but, but it is sort <laughs> of like, um, custom, it's custom done IT as, as <laughs> apart from like, um, here is, uh, the most recent version of SAP that I'm installing and mm-hmm. running. And and so like like well so there's two parts to the question. One and sort of like this idea you're painting out like is is it all customized stuff? And then and then and then second like in the work that you've been doing with Chef, like does Chef deal with any of this off the shelf stuff or like what's what's the mix that people have with with what they're managing? So I guess that's I think what would have to be so uh, let me answer the chef part of that question first, mm-hmm. where, yes, a lot of it is off the shelf, but the, um, uh, there, there is a hefty share of, of specifically um, or specific uh, customized applications. So for any major corporation now to be successful, you're going to have to write your own applications. So that's just the way it is. Right. Um, every every company is becoming a software company because they have they have to move information from one point to another and. That's just the way it is. Um, so obviously, Chef does fo- focus uh, a fair bit amount of time and effort on off-the-shelf applications. But in my pie-in-the-sky idea of leveraging the different clouds for their strengths, um, I actually think a lot of I think a good portion of that would even a higher portion of that would be customized applications because the only way you can get ahead is not take something cookie cutter you have to mold it to what your business needs are yes it's a trade-off yeah it's a trade-off right like it's you can't just go buy like a microsoft access database and throw in a template and all of a sudden that's your crm no that's the whole reason why salesforce does so well it's so flexible for so many different businesses and you're going like that same method you have to do internally to be able to be that flexible yes you have to pay pay higher engineers and be able to have that flexibility but that's your business that's a business decision right like to get the scaling statement we made earlier you can go with the rail story and just do exactly what you need done to get the poc out the door and but if you just stay with the poc you're never going to get higher um bang for your buck right uh, yeah. So, 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 so like you, you know, uh, you've, you've, you've sniffed out my secret question, right? Which is like, I, th- I think, I think ever since I was, uh, doing like strategy and MA at Dell. So like maybe, um, 2010 or so, like I've always been trying to understand what the, the percentage is between in, in IT between, uh, Custom software development and everything else, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, for exactly the point. Well, one because that's what I care about, but two, mostly for the point you were saying is it seems like it seems like until extremely recently, 
And probably even, and, and I wouldn't even say probably, I'm, I'm pretty sure even until now, like once you throw in like networking costs and stuff like that, like the majority of resources, both time and money in IT departments are spent on not custom software development, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like wh- whether it's, it's like the software licenses for, th- and let me be more, more specific on on-premise, not custom software development, right? Um, <laughs> and, and like, whatever desktop management, like managing your off the shelf things, like, as I always joke, your SharePoint sites, like all that stuff. And, and like, I, I think you probably, you know, people who are in our role, we see this a lot more than people would assume, but there's still a lot of people who run their own email servers, right. And, oh, and, Jesus, and so things true. like that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so that's, that's a, that's an easy example to make fun of, but it does prove this broader point of, I haven't used this, this formula in a long time, but like, I'm always interested in like IT minus SAS equals what, right? Which is to say, mm-hmm. if you SASified everything you could, like, what are the things left over? And I, I think that's like, that's like gets to the point you're saying and, and kind of the business motivation is like, all this other IT is not like interesting and differentiating. And so that's a fun point, but like, more of the raw data I'm always interested in is like, well, how far along are we on that? Because it does seem like, I mean, obviously that's that's what people like you and me would want is like just a bunch of cu- custom development, and then and then all the SaaS stuff that you end up using, that in turn is custom software development by the vendors who do it. So it's sort of like most everything is just like programmers like customizing stuff, but it, mm-hmm. it's. I don't know. I mean, I mean, my sense, even like seven or so years later, when I first started getting interested in this is like, we're still like, I, I have, this is why I'm always casting about for it, is like, I feel like the amount of, of resources, again, time and money spent on custom software development is still very small compared to like all the other stuff. And there's so much like inefficiency in the system because that ratio is out of whack that like, that's, that's kind of like the most valuable quest for the IT industry to go on is just to like sassify all that junk. Yeah, uh, totally. But the problem is, is it's 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 a it's a paradigm switch to to kind of parrot what you're saying, where we've been fighting this fight for so long, where we're trying to support all these different versions of uh, of uh, SharePoint, right? How all of a sudden do you go back to the the, the old school IT directors and be like, yeah, by the way, now you have a software development team underneath you that we, instead of using <laughs> yeah, yeah. SharePoint, yeah, how, how do you convince that that level of management who have been doing this for the last 10 years this way that this is the way to go? Like, I, 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 I have personal, like, I, I have stories of myself trying to convince um, people above me in previous positions where I'm like, no, we really should look at this technology because we're going to be using this technology. And it's not just fly to fancy, right? It's not like new shiny, which is, that's another problem, right? <laughs> to, to, on the flip side of this whole conversation is that because we iterate so quickly on these new technologies and I mean, Docker's only been around for what, three years at most. Um, and it's put the industry on its head. We're already iterating on it, and we and Chef has already come together and found a way to make Docker delightful, right? I mean, in a lot of ways, that's that's what ha- Habitat does is it, it gives you an opportunity to ship out a, a Docker container that is was the original promise of Docker, mm, and the upside down triangle, exactly. And that was only a year ago. We 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 released the software, right? So if the, Docker's only three years old. 
And we were doing this way for just X amount of years. Docker came along three years. Habitat now has been released. It's only been a year. Like that iteration cycle is ridiculously fast. And for the enterprise to catch up, that's, that's, that's scary. And that goes back to, I guess, the, the generational gap that can happen, right? Where, um, I, I think I, I mean this no way offensive, but there was I remember um, there was there's the joke that um, Node developers and Ruby developers are all hipsters. You know they wear skinny jeans and get really cool jobs downtown places with cool um, uh, office spaces and whatnot. Um, the, so on on the operations side, when I was coming up. That was always it was it was a said almost in a derogatory term, right? Being like, oh, these kids, you know, they're just doing their node stuff and they're doing this chat ops thing to do these things, right? And over time, they had they got it right, right? Like all these operations engineers now, what are they doing? They're using chat ops to make their their workflows better because now in a chat room you can talk to X amount of people instead of having to go around to or getting on a conference call. How many times have you been on a conference call, Cote, where you hear in the middle of a an incident, beep, beep, somebody just joined, and you're just like, you just broke my whole train of thought. I mean, come on, right? So that whole that whole story and this whole this whole idea that people catch up, but the next generation comes in, and then that next generation is already thinking about the next generation. And before you know it, the enterprise is going to be three or four generations behind. And it's going to require people like us to say, hey, hey, enterprise, hey, hey, you should really like be looking over here because, yes, it might be you might not be able to get your POC done right now. Right. Or you might not have the budget to make that happen. But if at least you have people looking at that who might be looking at that to see the next generation when you get that POC done. Yeah, you'll be a generation ahead of it. If that makes sense. If I had a whiteboard, it might make more sense. Um, yeah, so enterprising of me. Um, but you have people constantly looking forward. If that yeah. makes sense. No, no, that no, right? no but, that, that exactly. And, and that, that like, you know, so a lot of this at the very abstract level is basically boils down to uh, the way you think about what IT is and how you manage it is changing. Or, or to put it more nuanced, there is a more valuable way to think about what IT does that's more useful than than the traditional way. Like like down to the very name of like the core of, I mean, there's always some way of saying I'm overstating it, which is fine. But just to narrow down, assuming there's no friction in the system, like all these all this physics is simple. But like mm-hmm. uh, the, down to the very name of like IT is basically operations. They operate something. Something is given to them and they run it. Right. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily create that thing. And, and it, you know, it seems like what the, the problem when I go talk with large organizations they have is like shifting over how they think about things. And and the thing and I try to fill in this gap in whatever goofy way I can. But it seems like there's really not enough discussion of like and we joke about it, like your tight pants hipster friends from the mid 2000s. Like it's sort of like, mm-hmm. well, maybe these enterprise architects should change what they're doing. Like, cause mm. I think it's kind of their job to make sure we don't get blindsided <laughs> and, and like, <laughs> like instead of saying like, these are a bunch of old fogies in their, you know, their, their tower made up of old whiteboards, 
Like <laughs> maybe we should just have them do that job. Right. Like, yeah. like it, it's, it's developers want to like keep developing and doing stuff. And like, you know, instead of becoming polemical and like railing against them, like, I don't know if you were going to like, see retrain is a dangerous word, but if you're going to uh, tweak what it is, enterprise architects does, it seems like they're the ones who would be responsible for this. Right. Like now. So, so I, question I, though. Yeah. Yeah. Question. How many places do you still see, Roy and Moss from the IT crowd inside of enterprises. Well, and do you think that is still valid for the future? First of all, I'd never let myself watch that show. So, uh, really? Yeah, yeah. That's very disappointing, Kote. Yeah. Very disappointing. Well, you know, I've got to save something. Like one day I'm going to be laid up in the hospital bed for like a several months. Maybe, maybe when I'm, I'm, I'm having my uh, cyber extensions put on, whatever those may be, so I can <laughs> jack into the net. But, but I'm going to need something to watch. But so who who are those characters like like uh, Enterprise Architects? No, they're 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 they're, they're what you imagine the traditional IT like mm, break fix it. guys. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, and the whole joke is that they have a relationship manager who has no idea what IT is or like what break fix IT is, and that's her whole role in the show. But I guess I guess what I was trying to go for, and I was trying to you know seed to that question, which was, um. I think that's the problem. I think people still think IT yeah. is just break fix laptops, right? Not realizing that it's a larger scope. Yeah, and no, I think no, that's exactly. What you're trying to get to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I even have like a, a funny joke I use in my stump speech nowadays that that most people uh, they think they think they think they think let alone never mind IT but software custom like software development is like like those scenes in the 80 submarines movies where they like clear off the tiny officer's mess table and they put a schematic down and they're like all we got to go do is fix the reactor we've got to <laughs> get to this one part that's actually inside the reactor uh and and then you know pull this lever that's broken and and yeah it is it is like it's sort of a break fix, fix approach to to IT um mm-hmm. But yeah, no, exactly. And that, that's, that's the thing is like, it, it feels like, um, I, I mean, a lot of, it, it's not this bad, quite this bad anymore, but there's, there's just not enough coverage of sort of like, what is, and I am putting this in air quotes, what does management need to do? <laughs> right? Like, like, and yeah. like, we all kind of know the end state that you want to get to, right? Like we want to have our blameless postmortems and, and our, our developing the trunk and we're going to deploy 5,000 times a day to production and have canaries and things like that. But it's sort of like, yeah, but how do you get there? Like that seems, uh, you know, I think the current popular thing is, well, you just burn it all down and build it back up. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a fun notion, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. So that's why I'm kind of like, I don't know. You got these enterprise architects. They need some work. <laughs> like, well, I mean, or something. To, 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 so maybe this is just me being, you know, naive and selfish, but I think it's all just trust, right? Where to get management to get that mm. to that point, to know, be that successful, they need to trust the next generation. I guess I've now named the group of people I'm talking about as the generation, but they need to trust the next generation and they need to be able to learn how to mitigate the risk, but be able to give them the space to find the new technologies mm. where I guess to your point, the enterprise architects could fit that role, but you need that trust. You need to be able to, to, to risk and rock the boat a little bit. So you don't get left behind. I mean, if you're sailing a ship along and you have a nice little catch of the sail and you're doing some stuff, but if you got to move the boom, 
to keep that wind going or you're going to get stuck, right? And that's about the extent of my sailing analogies, but you get the point. And that was from my Boy Scout days. Um, the canvas can do miracles. Yes, yes, yes. So, By the way, I'm also an Eagle Scout, if you didn't know that. Oh, um, nice. You know, that, yeah. so, so before we run out of time, I, I did have another topic, but let me ask you about that. So my, my son in, uh, what's today in, in a few days, he's going to be seven, but I've got him in the, uh, I've got him, my wife and I have him in the tiger scouts. Now, uh, my son seems like the kind of person who would really like boy scouts, right? Like he loves being mm-hmm. outside. He likes bugs. If we went camping enough, I could confirm that he likes camping, but he likes, he likes kinetic outdoorsy stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he likes to sit on his iPad playing Minecraft for 15 hours a day as much as any sane human does, right? So you got that. Like, we all like candy. We can agree on mm-hmm. that. Um, but, mm-hmm. but I don't know. These, like, I don't, he doesn't seem like a good fit for it. Like, and I think it, it's mostly has to do with the fact that it's like a bunch of six and seven year olds who are crazy, right? So, yeah. Like, what is the, how do you figure out if we should, like, slog it out for him to, like, still be in Boy Scouts? Because I, let me ask you a question and then keep talking as I like to do. I I was in Boy Scouts for a while. And at some point, I was just like, fuck that shit. This is not for me. Right? But, <laughs> so I know how to do it for myself. But, like, what's your first, when, when do you figure out that this, that this is the thing that you want to, like, go all the way to, like, building bridges and whatever it is you do as an Eagle Scout? <laughs> yeah, um, so I started in Scouts when I was in second grade. So mm. as a Wolf Scout, I yeah. believe it was, uh, in, in Cub Scouts. And I went through from second grade all the way to the age of 16 when I got my uh, Eagle Scout. And I was like, I'm WTFing out of this thing. Um, or no, the GTF only. That's what I'm looking for. Um, because I basically spent from the age of uh, 8 to 16 with the same boys growing up through the same troop. Yeah. But anyway, Troop 511, by the way. As an Austinite, you might know where that is. Oh, yeah. I think um, maybe, maybe that was the one I was in. That sounds really familiar. I don't know. <laughs> that, that's funny. Um, so we, uh, um, so when it comes to scouts in general, for me, what it was was the brotherhood um, and the camaraderie that came with scouting. Mm. And if if you, it's it's going to, as a young boy, um, you don't see that until you're probably in actual Boy Scouts where you see the older Scouts help um, influence and lead the younger Scouts. Right. Um, but then eventually you want to be one of those older Scouts that can help teach other people because you get that camaraderie saying, hey, this Scout just lit this thing on fire. Fire is cool. How do I make fire? And then all of a sudden – you're making fire, teaching people how to survive in the woods. Yeah, that sounds um, awesome. Maybe we, maybe we should wait till yeah. next year when he's in second grade. I mean, I'm sure we'll just suffer through it, but it's more of like we just need some parental encouragement that uh, the same. Pine, Pinewood Derby, idea. though, um, no joke, no no joke. Pinewood Derby is a great thing that um, me and my dad bonded over when I was in oh, Cub Scouts. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I kind of I kind of screwed that up this year because I don't really have like a proper tool setup, so. Yeah, that could have gone a lot better. That was sad. But, but now you have an excuse to. Yeah, you have an hey, excuse now. there you go. Yeah. That, that's a good one. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, that's encouraging. And you know, they're all like, uh, they're all like, you know, letting letting whatever gender people they want in nowadays. So they they don't they mm-hmm. seem nice. It's not it's not like the back of the boys' life that I would always see. 
<laughs> and then, and then, so, yeah. la, la, so since since on on this topic, what I, you know, what whatever your own views you do, what do you what do you do with like all the God stuff in there? Because like one of his Tiger uh, Scout things was like, you should talk about the importance of uh, God to your family, and I was like, uh, this is like a Dev Null conversation, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> there there is no conversation, and I was like, I could be conniving and t- take some humanist view about like, well, people, blah blah blah, and so forth and so on, but it just seemed like, I, I guess. There is, there is, you can extract out the be a good person, moral, ethical mm-hmm. thing from it. But my, my, my fear, dude, as they say, our concern is that maybe they like ratchet up this God stuff and it becomes kind of like an untenable uh, conflict. Yeah. Um, so I was, I, I was lucky and at my trip where we met in a church, um, but we really never, we didn't allow the families to um, be the the twelfth um, point of the scout law. Wait, mm-hmm. just for the loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, wave cream. Yeah, reverence. Yeah, yeah. Twelve point. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I had to actually say them all twelve. And anyway, point being, we 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 allowed the families to do that. But I'm a staunch um, I'm a staunch atheist, and um, basically what I at a very young age, I realized that everything that when my mom or my dad tried to send me to Sunday school or whatever, um, those 12 points of the law were everything that those people were learning in those schools. Yeah. So I was yeah. like, Oh, yeah. so if I just stay to the boy scout 12 points and, you know, reverent, if respect other people's religion, that's how I took it. Yeah. Um, that should be enough. Like, that's that should be enough. Like if it's if it needs to be more than I don't fully I don't grasp something fundamental. And that's a different conversation. Well, that's good. That's good. Because that's been my theory of how you operate is basically like on, on this this topic in particular. This is sort of just like a moral code thing, you know, backed mm-hmm. up, backed up by some some deity or whatever, as as humans are want to do. But you can basically uh, you can basically just remove the sky god and all the good stuff remains. So mm-hmm, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Or the God inside don't, your soul. I, I think the the term is uh, don't be a dick. I think I think that usually boils it all down. To that's don't right. Be a dick. The uh the, the church of, of what would that be? D B D. That's that's always nice. a good one. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well that well that's great. We we uh where, where are you and Twitter, the internet or whatever, if people wanna catch uh, up so, with you. Yeah, I'd love to I'd love to have conversations about this stuff. Uh J J A S G H A R. Um, is my Twitter handle thing, uh, J-J-A-S-G-H-A-R. And then also, um, I run most of my blog posts and stuff on J-J-A-S-G-H-A-R.github.io. Mm. So, um, and you can hit me up at Gmail, the same thing, J-J-A-S-G-H-A-R at gmail.com if you ever uh, want to talk about it or, you know, I'm pretty easy to find. I'm guessing that stream <laughs> of characters is always available on whatever system you're going to. It's probably uh, pretty much yeah, unique. Pretty comments. much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. even on steam too. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, great. Well, thanks for being on that. That was fun stuff. And as always, this has been <clears throat> the, uh, the Cote show. Speaking of things that, that are always available. If you go to Cote show, you can see the show notes for this episode and subscribe and all that stuff. And, uh, that's all we got for now. So bye-bye. <laughs>